Recovery Greenhouse is a podcast dedicated to the growth of ideas, concepts, and outlooks that support recovery and recovering communities. I'm Gerald Lott, your host and a person in long-term recovery. I'm also founder and executive director of Salt Valley Voices of Recovery, a recovery community organization serving Northwest Illinois. I'm a certified recovery support specialist, entrepreneur, and a father, and after a long list of careers, I found my calling in helping others to find recovery. I work with many, many, many people and several addiction-related advisory boards every day, and my core belief is that people must make an effort to change their lives for recovery. There's a saying, no pain, no gain, and it's exactly correct. A, A person cannot experience significant life changes without enduring, accepting, and often welcoming discomfort. It isn't the change that hurts, it's our resistance to it. And and we can talk a little bit more about that concept with with my guest today. My guest today is a a great friend of mine, Penny Stark. She's a treatment advocate with Recovery Centers of America. She is a board member of Salt Valley Voices of Recovery, and she is a person in long-term recovery. She is also probably uh, our number one cheerleader out there beating the bushes, making making people know about the great work that this organization is doing. So it's really an honor to get a chance to highlight Penny and her view on the world. So hi, Penny. Well, hello, Gerald. Thank you so much. That was a very kind introduction. I meant it all. <laughs> well, it's an honor to be able to um, represent Sock Valley Voices of Recovery and the amazing work that you and the team are doing um, and the countless lives that you were touching. So thank you for having me on today. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, believe me, it's more them than me. I, I just I just sit back and point at things. They they're out there, <laughs> they're out there doing the work. But um so as as I mentioned, you you are, are a, a treatment advocate for recovery centers of America, a person in long-term recovery. Which of those titles is most important to you? Quite honestly, a person in long-term recovery is the, I guess, title, if you if you want to put it that way, um, that is most important to me. Without long-term recovery, without the recovery process and the pain that it took to get there, I wouldn't have the drive to do what I'm doing. I um, wouldn't have the heart for the mission of Sock Valley Voices of Recovery. So. I think if I were to put a title on anything and say what's most important, it would be a person in long-term recovery. I, I, I agree. I feel the same. I mean, of, of all the titles you can give me, you know, father and, uh, you know, American and, you know, African-American and uh, tall, you know, the one that, that means the most is, is, uh, person in long-term recovery and probably because that's the one I had a choice in you know Mm -hmm. I didn't have a choice in whether I was six foot tall or not I didn't have a choice in whether I was born in America Um, I guess I had a choice to stay but like you get my point you know Um, sure and we didn't have a choice in having an issue with addiction either right it's not it's not a choice it's an illness and it's indiscriminate it touches everybody. You know, I had a guy call me last night. I'm on the phone with him late last night. Guy who I've been talking to for a couple of years now. He's a uh, uh, a friend of mine from another 
organization that I'm involved in, you know, non-related to any of this, who has a drinking problem. And he called me again and said, what do I have to do to beat this? And I said, mm-hmm. you have to choose to beat it. You mm-hmm. know? The, the thing is, I always say it's easy to stop, right? I stopped using drugs and alcohol because I got arrested. I stopped mm-hmm. using drugs and alcohol because I fell asleep. I ran out of money. I got beat up. I, you know, got, you know, hit by a car, whatever the, you know, you can stop. But you have to choose to stay stopped by going to meetings, if that's your thing, you know, going to church, if that's your thing, taking your meds, if that's your thing. Mm-hmm. Does that make uh, uh, Oh, I, it totally makes sense. And, and I think for me, it was the surrender, right? I had to surrender the idea that in and of myself, I was going to be able to fix, manage, or control this illness. And I needed to finally get to that place where I surrendered to it. And so first I had to surrender the substances and then I had to begin to learn how to surrender everything else. Um, and I, it, it was a tough thing for me because, you know, coming from where I come from, we don't surrender. Surrender means defeat. And yeah. it's a hard concept, I think, to grasp, or at least it was for me, that the victory over this is in the surrender. I had to surrender my own ideas on how I was going to um, somehow overcome or um, begin to recover. And the more I surrender, the more victory I have. And so there's such dichotomy, I think, in recovery and in the process of recovery. Um, and trying to wrap my head around some of those concepts, I had to just say, you know, I'm, I'm just going to learn how to accept some of these things that I don't necessarily understand. And I'm going to go with it because there are these people around me that have some success with this recovery thing. And clearly my ideas aren't working. So, and their ideas are, so I'm just going to do what they tell me to do. Which is a choice, which is a choice. hundred percent, hundred percent. And, and I had to be willing, you know, Um, There are so many times I hear, well, you know, this person is just not ready. And I, I push back on that a little bit because I was ready for a long time before I was willing. I knew I needed to stop. I knew I needed to do something and, but I wasn't willing to listen. I wasn't willing to follow directions. I wasn't willing to do whatever it took to get and stay clean and sober. And so The interesting thing, I think you just hit a point that I wish I had thought of last night with this gentleman, um, because he he, he basically was saying to me, I have demons, and when I drink, the demons go away. And so I'm saying to him, well, stop drinking, and he's saying, well, the demons will come back. And so his exact words were, will it hurt? And my answer was yes. Yes. Yeah. Supposed to. And I pulled out out my 12-step literature. Uh, In my case, it was the big book. But um, I pulled that out and I hit him with, you know, page 83. If we are painstaking about this 
phase of our development. And then it goes on to give you a list of positive things that'll happen. And sure. I said, let's break down that word painstaking, mm -hmm. right? Pain taking. Yes. If I'm willing to take the pain. Yes. Then yes. I'm going to know these new, you know, freedoms and, 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 and positive attributes. And yeah, I said to him, and this guy happens to be, you know, one of the people that like is involved with athletics and such. I said, if I come to you and say, coach, I want to be a great running back. And you tell me, get out there and run this field 10,000 times. And I say, well, that's going to hurt. What would you tell me? And he's like, I tell you to run the field. Yes. Yes. I, I kind of liken it to like um, appendicitis, right? So okay. somebody, somebody has a hot appendix. They go to the emergency room. Doctor diagnoses them and says, okay, we need to do surgery to remove this bad appendix. Otherwise, it's going to rupture. You're going to have infection throughout your body and you could die. Right. And and. So I know that surgery is unpleasant. I know that it's going to be painful in the recovery, but I'm willing to endure that pain so that I can get better. And for me, substance use was the hot appendix of my soul. You know, right. I had to be willing to have surgery of the soul and go through that pain and face those demons, as you know, your friend was saying, so that... I could be rid of those demons and I can't do that in isolation. I can only do that in community. And I think that, you know, to kind of segue into Sock Valley Voices of Recovery, that's the beauty of Sock Valley Voices of Recovery is that there's the community that's being created to support facing down those demons, to support moving through the, the pain and the process of recovery so that there is that victory and there is that maintained long-term meaningful sobriety that we then get to pass on to the next guy that has the hot appendix of the soul, if you will. You know, you, 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 you just, you, to the, to the people at home, this is a regular conversation between me and Penny. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is what we talk about day after day. Um, so. I, I just love you so much. Thank you. Um, you hit on something that's really interesting. Lately, and, and you've been a part of it, but lately, you know, we go to hire somebody and I ask them on the interview, well, do you know what our organization does? And they go, oh, yeah, you know, two, three years ago, you, you helped me. I came to a couple meetings at your place or uh yeah I know you because you all took me to treatment and now I'm one girl told us she was 562 days sober at the mm -hmm. time of that because of you know help we had given her and um it's just it's such an amazing feeling I mean to be able to be a part of these people's success story agreed and, and I think that that is almost the you know, the cornerstone to recovery really is that, that purpose, that sense of purpose and being altruistic and being able to meet people where they're at and kind of um, partner with them on that journey and really being able to 
love people right where they're at and, and have that sense of someone loved me at my absolute worst and showed me this way of living that is infinitely better than anything I've ever experienced. And to be able to give that to another person or share that with another person. I mean, that's like the best buzz without consequence on the planet. Are you into, are you into, uh, are you into television, like prestige television? Depends. <laughs> I've, been, I've been watching this show. I just finished it. It's a great binge. Like if you want to lose a weekend, watch the first episode. It's called The Bear. Oh, it's, I watched it. Yes. Isn't that amazing? Great show. Yes. And so I think about the redemptive arc of the character. I don't want to give, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but the redemptive arc of the character that start, starts off as like a selfish, you know, loser prick and ends up finding himself and serving others and becomes, you know, just this amazing teammate to everyone. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's just, it, it's like, like when I was watching it, I was almost brought to tears because, mm -hmm. you know, I saw myself in that. I spent so much of my life on this mission to satisfy my mm -hmm. needs and desires. Mm -hmm. and, and I, I did not find, uh, I did not find myself until I realized that I could fill those holes in my soul by helping other people fill the holes in theirs. Yes, yes. I think the thing that struck me in The Bear was the kind of the, the coming of age, if you will, of, of the main character. Um, and, you know, seeing him tap into what it means to be a servant leader. And I think that that's a big lesson to take from that is, is that servant leadership mentality. Um, I think that's what you bring to the table with Sock Valley is that servant leadership mentality. And I think that that is infectious in a good way. Um, as we model what it is to love others, we are teaching others how to then still love others. And, you know, I think that that, if there's a, a really positive thing about having substance use disorder, it's that their recovery is possible. And when recovery happens, we get to share it and become that servant leader and become that person that we were created to be. Um, and the journey of that is never ending, right? I mean, there's no destination in it, but the journey is so filled with, you know, ups and downs and twists and turns and a journey of discovery of who we really are and being able to help another person begin to discover who they really are and who they were created to be. It's just nothing better. It, it really, it really isn't. It really isn't. But you know, it, it's, it's so depressing when you, 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 you've got the magic answer and this person just won't reach for it and, mm -hmm. and you see the potential in them and you know that they could be amazing and and it's it's just it, it's like i've seen it in my family i've seen it in people we work with um mm -hmm. I've, I've seen so many oh so many people that you know i i just want to 
I want to put recovery yes. on them and you cannot. Yes, yes. I, you know, thinking back to my earlier days when I um, was just beginning my recovery and, and I'm starting to sponsor um, other women and I just felt so responsible for their recovery, right? I felt like what nobody was nobody was staying sober. And I thought I went to my sponsor and I said, "What am I doing wrong? I'm broken." Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what is what's happening here? And and she said, she said, "Well, you know, you are staying sober though. They might not be staying sober, but you're staying sober. And what's the lesson in that?" And it's not my job. I don't have any control over whether or not someone accepts the tools or uses the tools. My responsibility is sharing that there are tools available. And as long as I'm doing that, then I've done my job. The rest isn't up to me. I'm not in the results business. I'm just in the deliver the message business. And that freed me up so that I didn't because I was really like bummed out and thought I was really doing something wrong. And and then, you know, I have a great sponsor who reminded me that, you know, I'm just not that powerful. I can't get anybody. I couldn't get myself sober. How am I going to get anybody else sober? I was in the same place. I'm maybe two, three years sponsoring two, three years sober. People are asking me to sponsor them generally not because of anything. Like, you know, they say, pick, pick a sponsor who has what you think you want. You know, nobody wanted what I had, my, you know, yeah. um, but, you know, there were a couple who, you know, looked at me and said, huh, he looks like somebody I could easily manipulate or whatever. Right. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so they asked me to sponsor him and I, you know, I was more than willing to share my idiocy, but there was this one kid, he was a little bit younger um, and he asked me to sponsor him and he, in earnest wanted to get sober and uh to be honest with you i just wasn't a good sponsor you know mm-hmm. i was i was completely absorbed in my life and trying to get back on the horse right i was only two years three years sober myself so sure. i'm still trying to put back my life you know um i think i was wearing sponsorship as a strike on my arm type thing oh yeah you know oh i love to be sitting in the meeting and have one of my people say my sponsor gerald says you know (laughs) i i have since told people i sponsor just i don't want anybody know you know that's between me and you but um this kid came and he, he he looked me in the eye one day and he said man i gotta let you know i found somebody else to sponsor me man i'm i'm gonna be you know going different direction and I feel like uh you know I don't want to hurt your feelings and there's nothing you did and you know he was giving me all the like it's not me it's you or whatever it's not you it's me thing (laughs) and he expected me to be very hurt Mm -hmm. was I was very proud yes because here was a young man who didn't just ghost right Yes. But who who came to me and said, I'm not getting what I need with you. Yes. So I'm taking action to get it with someone else. Yes. That my my sobriety means something to me. Yes. And I was really I, I very, very impressed, very moved. 
I felt that as a success. I Maybe I had not been able to give him what he wanted, but at least I had showed him that sobriety was worth mm-hmm. those interpersonal risks. Yes. You know what well, I'm saying? Yeah. And, and, I, and, and I would say don't sell yourself short because, you know, when I was 24 hours, you know, 48 hours, six months sober, I saw people with a year. And I was like, wow, you know, (laughs) I saw people with 90 days and I was like, wow, how did you do that? Um, and so don't sell yourself short. Clearly what you had in terms of sobriety was attractive to him in for that time. Right. Right. Um, I'm always just really thankful to be any part of someone's journey, whether it's, you know, a, a temporary sponsor, you know, a, a week, um, a month, or, you know, in some cases now I've, you know, had sponsees for multiple years. And I can honestly say I learned more from them than I could ever teach them. They, they teach me far more about myself and about my own journey in sobriety. So, um, you know, I'm just always grateful that anybody looks at me and says, oh, she's, she must, she has something that I want, you know, and it's not like my car. <laughs> right. So, so I, I'm, I'm, I appreciate all that. And, and thank you that I always look at it from the negative side, instead of saying that the person looked at my sobriety and said, that guy has what I want. I, I always think they looked at me and said, if that idiot can stay sober, <laughs> that's just that's just me man so um so tell me you you know how long have you been sober what's your well it it's a little bit convoluted right so my original sobriety date is september 18th of 1993 and um i was pretty young um got sober young stayed um very active in a 12-step recovery program for about seven years, got married, started having children, fell away from the recovery community, got very active in my life and went on a very long dry drunk. And um, in July of 2017, I had this idea that perhaps since I had not picked up a drink in 25 years, that perhaps I'm really not an alcoholic. And um, so I kind of ruminated on that for a while, but um, I eventually in July of 2017, picked up a drink and went on an 18 month, um, just crazy ride. And December 3rd of 2018, so 18 months later, um, crawled back into uh, the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, um, thoroughly convinced to my very core that I am an alcoholic and I am addicted to drugs and I am addicted to anything that makes me, um, feel good and want more. So, um, that started this last really four and a half years now of recovery. And, um, what a difference, you know, um, in 93, the, the area that I was in, Um, It was a lot of um, sort of meeting based, you know, felt more like group therapy without a therapist kind of recovery. Mm -hmm. 
And this go round, um, I am so blessed to be involved with a group of people that are very into the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which for me is uh, my guidebook. It gives me um, very specific instructions. <laughs> and uh, so the, the quality of sobriety today is far better than the quality of sobriety I had back then. And, um, and I honestly believe that it's because I'm in a recovery community that's very focused on the solution rather than sitting around and talking about our problems. You know, I, I first of all, congratulations. And, you. you know, you brought up a couple of points I want to jump at. So let's don't, let's don't forget the difference between my sober date and my recovery date. Um, yes. Right. Because I think sometimes we, we, we lose sight of the 25 years and all we look at is the four and a half. Sure. Um, but but we can talk about that later. Right now, the, the, the one that jumps out at me is the concept of dry drunk. Yes. You know, talk about that, please. What, 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 what do you mean by dry drunk? So for me, it's untreated alcoholism and drug addiction. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by untreated is I may not be drinking or using, but if I'm not applying the principles and the steps and actively working the steps and doing what I need to do to treat my illness on a daily basis, then without even picking up a drink or a drug, I'm going to have the mental state and the attitude that I had when I was drinking and using, right? So the victim mentality, the restlessness, the irritability, the discontentedness, the, you know, everything in the world bothers me, you know, everybody hates me, you know, all of the feeling different from the rest of the universe, like everybody else got a manual on how to be a human being and interact and somehow I missed it. So all of those things that, all of those behaviors that drove me to the bottle and to the other substances become, they come back. And mm -hmm. for me, that's the relapse, you know, the picking up a drink or a drug is not the relapse. That's the result of the relapse. The relapse happens first. And so I have to remember and actively participate in treating my illness and managing my illness every single day. Otherwise I'm going to have a setback or I'm going to have a relapse, just like a diabetic. If they're not watching what they eat, if they they need to take insulin and they're not taking insulin, you know, all of those things that need to take place in order to manage an illness so that there isn't a setback that puts them in the hospital and could eventually kill them. The same concept applies to my illness. So I have to manage it every day. And so when I'm talking about a dry drunk, I'm talking about having every single attribute of being in active addiction without picking up a substance. So, so, and, and, and I love that understanding of it. What you're, you're suggesting is that my alcoholism or my, my drinking is not solely the activity of putting these chemicals into my body. Correct. Right. Correct. It is, it is bigger. It, it, it encompasses some other things. It's the demons. Sure. So, right. It's, the ism. It, the ism, right. right. 
Alcoholism. I, I've always said alcoholism, the ism stands for insane state of mind. <laughs> I'm in an insane state of mind. And I'm going to act out of this insane state of mind. And then the most insane thing I can possibly do as a sober person is pick up stone cold sober, a drink or a drug. That is the most insane thing I can do. And my disease, my illness is going to tell me that I can handle it. I can do this, even though I know that this is going to burn my life to the ground one more time, I will listen to the lie that my illness tells me that somehow this time it's going to be different. So my guy I was telling you about last night happens to be uh, in the car business. And I said, hey, man, what's the, you know, the best car that's on that lot, right? What is the car? Like everybody's like, ooh. He's like, oh, we got this Mercedes. It's $275,000 and it's like 700 horsepower, blah, 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 right? Yeah. And I said, so does it take premium gas? And he said, yeah. And I said, so if I buy it, can I just put the junk cheapest gas in there? It's like, why would you do that? You can't do that. You'll mess it up. Oh. <laughs> so why would you put garbage into your body? Yep. He's like, oh, damn, why'd you do that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I wanted to get back to to like 12 step humor for a second. Sure. Because you 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 landed one with ism. Right. I've heard all the isms. You said ism is what in. Tell me again. Insane state of mind. All right. I've heard ism is incredibly short memory. Yes. I've heard ism is I sponsor myself. <laughs> yeah. Any more? You got any more for me? Uh, oh, I don't. Off the top of my head, I can't think of any. Um, All right. We're going to have people like yeah. in the chat. Like, in, yeah, in, we're in, the, in the, the, like, if you listen to this and you know some, send them to me. Yes. <laughs> I love those. Yeah, I've, I've heard a bunch of them. I just can't remember. Those are the two that stuck with me. Yeah. <laughs> I like the I sponsor myself. Yeah. Oh, that one I've done. I've, I've tried. I have done. That's how you get yourself into a dry drum. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it never ends well. Yeah. When you, when you, when you, uh, when you think that you have the answer to the problem that you created. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's when I'm being sponsored by an idiot myself. <laughs> you know? So listen, let's take a quick break here um, and pay the bills. And then we're going to come back. I want to, I want to jump into what RCA is. Awesome. Sounds good. Hey everybody. This episode of The Recovery Greenhouse is sponsored by Effervest Vapors, serving the Sauk Valley area for all of your vaping needs. If you're looking to quit smoking cigarettes, then head on over to EV, where they'll help you get everything you need to make the change. Offering small batch manufactured e-liquid, Effervest Vapors has many flavors to choose from. EV has been in business since 2014 and knows what each individual needs to succeed in quitting smoking must be 21 to purchase. Drop the analogs and go digital. EV is located at 315 West 1st Street in Dixon, Illinois.
All right, so we're back with uh, my guest, Penny Stark, board member, person in long-term recovery, uh, Salt Valley Voices of Recovery cheerleader, and treatment advocate for Recovery Centers of America. What is that? So Recovery Centers of America is a full continuum of substance use treatment. Um, so we have a level 3.7 detox, which is um, just one step below a hospital level of detox. So it is a medication assisted um, detox. Um, we also have a residential program that's a 28 day residential program. We have um, intensive outpatient services, partial hospitalization programming, uh, general outpatient programming, medication assisted treatment, um, it is a full continuum. Uh, my location is in St. Charles, Illinois. Uh, my sister location is in Indianapolis, Indiana. And then we have several locations up on the East Coast. Um, what was uh, the St. Charles campus? What was that before it was RCA? It used to be a boys, I want to say boarding school or reformatory. I think it was a reformatory school. And um, so it's situated on 125 acres, kind of where Campton Hills, South Elgin, and St. Charles meet. And uh, it's absolutely beautiful campus. Um, it, it is. It is. It is one. It is one of the nicer treatment facilities I've ever been to. Um, whether it was when I was using and needed to go, or 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 now that I've been in this industry. Uh, honestly, I like to go there when the weather is nice and just walk the campus because it is very peaceful. It feels kind of like a retreat almost, mm -hmm. um, you know, but, but outside of the aesthetics, which I think, I think it's important to have nice aesthetics only from the standpoint that there's such stigma around substance use. And I think that sort of the idea that people have in their mind or the picture that people get in their mind of a treatment center is either the, you know, really palatial estates that are out in California, or, you know, kind of like a, um, like a hospital or institution setting where there's a, a bed, a little, you know, bedside table and a bed next to each other. And it feels very institutional. Um, One flew over the cuckoo's nest. Kind of, yes. And so part of the, the planning that went into Recovery Centers of America was to allow people to understand that they have value and mm -hmm. how do you help someone understand that they have value greater than giving them comfort, right? And giving them a, a comfortable, beautiful setting where they do feel valued. And, and when they come to Recovery Centers of America, and I've, I've seen this myself, they're welcomed warmly that, you know, there's, it's not, you know, like going to um, a hospital where you're just a number, you're welcomed as a, a human being. And, and I think that that in and of itself sets RCA apart. Um, and then, you know, in addition to having this beautiful campus, it's the programming, you know, it's the people that are there that really care about each and every one of the guests that come to Recovery Centers of America. They're, they are coming to us, be, not on the wings of victory. Nobody wants to go to treatment, right? Um, nobody walks into treatment because they're having a great day. Typically, this is the worst day of their life, or they're just coming off, 
you know, the, the worst week of their life. And they're trying to figure out how to put the pieces back together. And so the, the staff that we have at Recovery Centers of America from our mission center, you know, working to help people get scheduled to get into treatment and doing the pre-screening to the recovery support specialists, the nurses, the, the master's level clinicians, the psychiatry, you know, the entire staff. I've never worked with a clinical staff that is more loving, more compassionate, more kind, and more invested in the success of these people that are, are coming to us when they really need help. And, you know, I feel like it's just a huge blessing that I get to be a part of such an amazing organization. And as an extension, I got to meet you and the team at Sock Valley Voices of Recovery. And so I, I'm just tremendously blessed to be a part of it. So what does a day in the life of a treatment advocate look like? Oh, um, coordinating chaos. <laughs> so um, as a treatment advocate, my role is not to get people into Recovery Centers of America. Um, my role is to meet people where they're at, understand what resources they need, and um, connect them to those resources as quickly and as efficiently as possible, um, and to create a, a, a warm atmosphere of non-judgment, and um, really to just partner with them on their journey, no matter what that looks like. Um, whether it's someone who is actively seeking treatment, um, inpatient, and helping them find the treatment center that's in network with their insurance or where they wanna go. Um, or someone who maybe who isn't quite willing to get into inpatient treatment and take the abstinence route um, and maybe talk about some harm reduction. Um, talk about ways that they can stay alive, honestly, until they're ready. Um, or willing, honestly, to, to pursue uh, recovery in whatever way is going to work for them in that moment, which is kind of a convoluted way of saying it. But, you know, I think that my job is to meet people where they're at and to um, just connect them in whatever way is going to be most beneficial for them. Um, I also spend a lot of time with family members because addiction doesn't just happen to the person that's struggling with substances. It affects every person that they come in contact with, especially their loved ones. And so I spent a lot of time working with family members and connecting them with resources to help them recover as well, because it's, it is not a, a, an isolated illness. It, it has a, an impact on moms, dads, sisters, brothers, aunts, uncles, cousins, you neighbors, you name it. Um, so it's really taking a more holistic approach to substance use recovery and connecting people to those resources. So as you can probably imagine, we have met people from many of the private treatment centers. Where we are in, in our area of Northwest rural Illinois, 
there are no treatment centers that help people that have Medicaid and uh, are, are uninsured. Yes. We have to drive people an hour and a half in one of a million different directions, but it's, it's everywhere but here. Mm -hmm. And so we, if we hear that there is a treatment center, we, we, uh, we reach out, hey, you know, we're doing this work and can you help us? And, you know, what do you offer and such? And, and I will say that I, I am really, really happy to say that at least on a couple of occasions, RCA has really bent over to make something happen for somebody who needed it. Uh, but none of those other places have somebody who can work as diligently and as hard as you do for somebody who has no possible chance of coming to their facility. And that's what really impressed me about you. And, and to be honest with you, I didn't trust it, <laughs> right? I, I, I just said like, Penny, are you sure your bosses are okay with it? Like, give me a, 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 I need a note from the principal. <laughs> that you're able to take other people on your school bus you know what I mean yes. and, um, and I really applaud RCA for for that you know that commitment to people and and I hope that they are exercising that throughout all of their treatment advocates but I know that you are doing an amazing job and so so that it is out there, I would say 20 to 30 percent of our intakes come through Penny hmm. because you are out there hitting the streets, walking the halls of these hospitals. People, you know, in the, all the hospitals, and I don't know how many counties know that when we get somebody who needs help, call Penny. And then you sort through them and you send them where they're supposed to go. So oh, kudos to you. Applaud. You, you are doing God's work. Well, thank you. I, I have to give credit to um, our founder, Brian O'Neill. That was his vision. It, it is his vision. And it's not just about folks who have commercial insurance and, you know, those types of things because substance use disorder affects 100% of the population indiscriminately in one way or another, right? Um, whether someone has commercial insurance, whether they're on state insurance, unfunded, every race, every religion, every socioeconomic status. And so Brian's vision for Recovery Centers of America is to help as many people as possible. Our goal is to save 1 million lives um, I don't, I don't know how close we are yet, but, um, just being a part of that is, um, incredible. And like, who'd have thunk, right? <laughs> Four years ago, um, that I would get to get up every morning and have purpose and meaning and get to work with, um, the, the people I get to work with and be partnered and be on the board of Sock Belly Voices of Recovery. Are you kidding me? Like, I just never imagined that it could happen. I have a, a, a success story with RCA. Young man uh, 
called his, he and his parents were in the emergency room Christmas Eve a couple years back and uh they uh didn't know what to do this you know kids 20 21 years old just could not stop drinking parents took him to the emergency room because he had messed up Christmas dinner or whatever Christmas Eve dinner and uh I end up working with him and uh I actually drove him to RCA on Christmas morning that year. Mm -hmm. Got up, open presents with my kids, and then, you know, got in the car and went and got this guy and drove him to treatment. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was like two years ago. And I recently bumped into him and his mom in the grocery store. And uh, he's just still sober, still looking good. Uh, you know, he's working. Mom is just beaming. She's so proud of him. And, uh, you know, he's going to go on to be someone's father. Yeah. He is someone's employee. You know, he's someone's neighbor. Yeah. And, and that's all because of the great work done there at RCA. So. Wow. That's a great story. Great yeah. story. And, and that's what it's, you know, that's what it's about, right? Just touching lives and um, helping people on their journey and being there for them and supporting them. And, you know, every once in a while, at exactly the right moment, we get a phone call. Hey, you took me to treatment two years ago and I'm still clean. I'm still sober. You yeah. know, that's, that's amazing. Right. That's the goods, right? <laughs> yeah. It, it, I mean, it, it, it... You, you hate to think that you're you're out collecting bodies like that, but you know, the, it's the starfish, right? It's yes. the, you know, you can't save all the starfish. Yeah, but I saved that one. Yes, yes, 100%, 100%. And you know, and I think that that's where it becomes so important to continue to push to remove stigma from substance use disorder. Um, you know, if, if 1% of the population in the United States can have a, an extremely loud voice and remove stigma for, um, a marginalized group of people, um, why can't we substance use affects 100% of the population? You, you cannot walk into a room of two or more people and ask the question, do you know someone that struggles with substance use? and not have everybody raise their hand. And so if substance use affects 100% of the population, then why are we so stigmatized? So let's remove the stigma because it's really not about the substance, it's about the person. And let's just, um, let's just love people where they're at and encourage them to grow. And, and I think that if we can remove the stigma of substance use disorder, if we can help the 50% of the medical community that still believes that substance use disorder is a choice um, to understand that it's not a choice, it's an illness and, and we need to address it. There are so many people that would not feel like they have to stay in the shadows and carry the shame of substance use and, and would maybe be more willing to seek out uh, recovery. 
So yeah, I got We're gonna have to close up. I know you got to get back to work, and we are <laughs> running out of time. I, I so appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Well, thank you for having me on. This was so much fun. I always love talking to you, Gerald, and um, <laughs> I, I so appreciate everything that you're doing, and um, just admire and respect you tremendously. Um, appreciate your friendship. You're one of my dearest, dearest friends, and I just love you to pieces. Um, so please give my best to the team, to your family, and uh, and thanks so much for letting me hang out with you for a while today. And you're the same. So to everybody at home, if you need help, there's help available. People like Penny are out there in the world doing the work. Um, yes. Please reach out to us. Uh, you can call us at 779-707-0151. You can go to our website, sbvor.org. Um, Penny, how do they reach RCA? Um, the best way is to call me direct. You can text me or you can call me. My cell is 815-786-5771. I am on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So there's never any time that's too late or any day that's wrong. All right. So uh, there's always help available. Reach yes. out. And it's not just to go to RCA with the ducks in yes. the fancy lake but it's if you just need to figure out what your next steps are if you yes. don't have that option if you're in another part of the world or the country call your local police department call the hospital call the fire department call your local 12-step AA NA hotline uh, just call someone I'd like to say thank you to NRG Media uh, sponsoring us I'd like to say thank you to Slang Music Group for their, their theme music um, I'd like to say thank you to my team. Uh, this this podcast is, and radio show is produced by me, so please excuse the, uh, the, the flaws. And and I hope you uh, I hope you go. Wow, it's really cool. He's doing that. Not wow, it's really messed up. But uh, if we're, you do, we're so, all perfectly flawed, flawed Gerald. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so in the meantime, guys, if you need help, reach out. Uh, and, and we'll see you next week, thanks. Thanks, Gerald, take care.